Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. We see his hand in his story. Do you see God's hand today on this service? God's here. He's in our presence. We're in his, in his presence as well. Would you take your Bible? Would you open with me to Exodus chapter 4? It'll be in Exodus chapter 4 this morning. As we continue in this series of messages, I invite you to stand to your feet right now with me. We're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. We're going to stand as we read God's word. So as you get to Exodus chapter 4, just stand to your feet and that's all I know that you're there. Right before this moment in time, we see that Moses is walking through the wilderness and he sees a bush that's on fire but doesn't burn up. And it's there in that place that he presses in. And it's there that the Lord gets his attention and says to him, take off your shoes. Where you are standing is holy ground. There's this awareness that God needs him to know that now he's in the presence of the Lord. And church, I want us to approach God's word today with that same reverence, with that same awe. May it not be familiar to us. May we feel even right now, Lord, we're on holy ground, Lord God. We're standing in this place. So speak to us by the power of your word, Lord God. Lord, give us a word that is in season right now, Lord God, that speaks directly to every heart and every life. Lord God, break through the things that will distract us and speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Remain standing here. We're going to read God's word together. Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, But Moses protested again to the Lord. What if they don't believe or listen to me? What if they say, The Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Then the Lord said to him, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And catch this right here. Here it is. And he ran from it. Are you ready? Take your hand and put it on the shoulder of the person next to you. With as much love as you have in your heart, tell them right now in this moment, don't run from it. Don't run from it. All right, let's go. Verse 4, that the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. You ready? Put your hand on the shoulder of the person on the other side of you. And with all the love in your heart, say this, reach for it. Ready? Don't run from it. Reach for it. Don't run from it. Reach for it. Lord Jesus, come today. Lord, help us to understand what this means, Lord God, to reach for your promise, to take hold of what you have for us, Lord God, not to move backwards, but to move forward into your purposes for our lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 You can be seated. We're going to learn together from God's word the power of what happens when we reach for it, when we reach for it instead of running from it. So we're in the story of Moses. We're going to be walking through Exodus. So you're in Exodus 4. You can begin to flip right now in your Bible to Exodus chapter 1. And I want to catch us up to speed from what happened last week until where we find ourselves today in God's Word because a lot has transpired. A lot has taken place here. And so we're going to take a look here at it. And by the time we get to this moment in Scripture, we see in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6, 
that Joseph died, the Bible says. Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. So let's stay right there for a moment. Last week we talked about Joseph in the many places that God brought him. And he had a persevering perspective, one that could always see past his present because his eyes were fixed on the promises of God. And it moved him from the pit into Potiphar's house, from Potiphar's house into a prison, from the prison to the palace. Now you know it's God's hand and God's favor that he could elevate a life and pick them up out of the pit and place him in the palace. Only God does that. Second command over all of Egypt. Only God can do that. Make sure you recognize when God's moving in your life so that you don't take the credit for it. We're very good at taking credit, aren't we? We take credit for things we didn't even do. Someone's like, hey, are you the guy that, yeah, that's me. Hold on, oh wait, that's bad. No, that wasn't me. We're good at pushing the blame as well. We want to blame God. We want to take the credit for what he does. But we want to make sure that we recognize God's hand because God's hand was on Joseph's life so powerfully. Elevated him to a place that not only could he see and was it evident in Joseph's life that God was present, but it was most evident in the people around him. Is it evident in the people around you that God's presence is in your life, that his hand is on you? Joseph, every time he stepped into God's promise, every time he walked in obedience, God's presence was so evident in his life that others recognized it. And so it led him to this place, second in command of all of Egypt. But at that time, time passed by and he died. All of his brothers, all that generation, they died in the wilderness. We get into verse 7, and here's what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. But the sons of Israel were fruitful, and they increased greatly, and they multiplied. They became an exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. Let's stop right here. So verse 6 catches up us up on what happened last week, Joseph's life and his story. If you missed that message, please watch it. It's a, a key one that I feel you won't want to miss for where God's leading us in this series. Verse 7, do you know how long this span of time is? It just covers what happened in verse 7. It's over 400 years go by in just verse 7. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. They're growing. There's generations that are coming up. And this is where our attention must go. Because there's a lot that's transpiring in a long period of time. The people, you see, they went from, Joseph went from the difficulty and the struggle in the pit to the comfort of the palace. And not only did he get to enjoy that, all of his brothers and all of his generation, and now the people of God, they enjoyed the comforts of Egypt. There's only one problem. Egypt wasn't God's promised place for them. It wasn't their final destination. It was a stop in the journey. It was a place for a season. Be careful when you overstay your season. Be careful when you don't pay attention to what season it is in your life because there's something waiting in that place when a season is over and you won't leave it and you're not moving because you're comfortable. And there's a word that presses in. There's something that happens here. This is the place of complacency. And I want to tell you something. Complacency should be a swear word in the church. I'm telling you, it should be something that makes you shudder, cringe. Lord, don't make me complacent. Lord, move me. Lord, do something in my life. Don't let me overstay the season that it is in my life. Move me where you'd have me. Don't let me get too comfortable here. Because there's something waiting. The Bible says it like this. Sin is crouching at your door. And his desire is for you. But you must master him. You see, it's in that place of complacency and comfort that the enemy can come in and sin can take root. A lot of, a lot of terrible things can take place. 
So we see that verse 7 is the, the season of complacency. And then we get to verse 8. And verse 8 catches us up. And now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. But here, here, here's the deal. It isn't just about knowing Joseph. The Pharaoh didn't just know Joseph that put him second in command. That Pharaoh said from his own lips, is there anyone in all this land in whom the spirit of God dwells? So not only did he not know Joseph, he didn't know the God of Joseph. He didn't know the power of the God of Joseph. He had forgotten about the power of the God who rescued the Egyptians, who saved them, who used Joseph's leadership in such a mighty way. He forgot all that. He didn't know anything about it. And he rose up. And all he saw was a multitude of complacent people. He saw the children of God not occupying the place God had promised to them, but comfortable in the land of less than. And as they're settled there, this is where he has an idea. His idea is they're a threat. And therefore, we're going to take them into captivity. We're going to put taskmasters over them. Before long, we're going to begin to put about regulations. We're going to put things in place. And before they even know it, they're going to be in bondage. They were so much bigger. He was so threatened that they would overtake him. So I'm sure it's kind of a frog in the kettle scenario. Let's just begin to put some people over them. Let's just begin to move them here. And before long, the people of God who enjoyed all the comforts of Egypt were now slaves in Egypt. And in the midst of that, we see the warning. Here's the warning. Today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. Today's complacency can become tomorrow's captivity if you're not careful. And we must, we must recognize, Lord, where are you moving me? You see, complacency is a dangerous thing. Complacency, when it sets in, it keeps us from moving into and pressing into God's plan and purpose for our lives. It keeps our eyes focused off of God's promise and focused onto our own circumstance, our own place, our own comfort, or our own problems. But we miss it. Complacency is a very dangerous word. I want you to understand what it is today in terms of what we're talking about from God's word. Here's what complacency is. Complacency, I'm going to give you this working definition up on the screen. Complacency for us is the byproduct of a life that has stopped reaching. Come on, what did I say? Reach for it. Don't run from it. Reach for it. Complacency is the byproduct of a life that has stopped reaching. You see, here's what happened. Whenever we go back into Joseph's story, we see him move. He's in the pit. I'll go down here. He's in the pit. He goes into Potiphar's house. Then he goes down into the prison. Then he goes all the way up into the palace. And he's in the palace. He could have been so comfortable. He could have had everything he ever wanted. But as he's on his deathbed, he's on his deathbed. And what's he doing? He's reaching out. Come on. Come, someone come here. Come here. Come here. I'm about to die. But Egypt is not our home. Listen to me. God is going to rescue us. God is going to take us up out of here. And when he does, I want you to pick up my bones. And I want you to carry them to that place. He would not stop. He wanted to reach from the grave because he was so sure of the promise of God. He couldn't. That was the last thing he was thinking about. His passing breaths are being used to say, there's a promised land. And I want to take hold of God's promise. Don't leave me here. Talk about a danger. He was so worried about what was going to happen in Egypt. He was so fixated on wanting to enter into the promise of God, he wouldn't even let his bones after he died be, be laid there. Talk about, talk about reaching. Talk about a life that was just reaching. But generations came and went. They stopped reaching. They grew complacent. 
See, complacency is the byproduct of a life that has stopped reaching. We stop reaching to take hold of God's present uh, promises. We start just fixing our eyes on the things around us. We start to grow lax in so many ways. And in that place, captivity is waiting. Today's complacency becomes tomorrow's captivity. We talk about it for the people of God. This is what happened in Israel. But the same thing happens to us today because there is a ruler. He's the ruler of the prince of the air. He's the enemy of our soul. His name is the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, whatever you'd call it. And he prowls around like a roaring lion. You know who he's looking to prey on? The complacent. They're sitting ducks for him. They're waiting. They're isolated often. They're sitting there comfortably. Guard is down, not putting on the armor of God. And there they are. And he's waiting. He's saying, you know what? They're a threat. They're such a threat. But their guard is down. And if I can get them into bondage today, that it's going to keep them from what God wants to do for them tomorrow. That's what the plan of the enemy is. And guess what? It's a, it's a scheme that was worked out through a pharaoh thousands of years ago, but it's the same scheme the enemy is using today. Why would he change his devices if they're still working? And so... Don't think that, you know, this idea of captivity, don't think about this idea of bondage or slavery is something that, well, thank the Lord that we live here in the United States. Thank, thank you, Lord, that we live here and we, we experience freedom. Guess what? Uh, there are more slaves in the world, number one, than there's ever been in the history of the world right now. Real physical slavery, human slavery, human trafficking. But I want to tell you, when you look through the church, the people of God, there's more bondage, I believe, than there's ever been before. <laughs> Come on, that's not comfortable. I didn't get too many amens there. We need freedom. We need freedom like they needed freedom. We need to experience that. We need to reach for it today. I want you to know something, that the power you need is within your reach. It's not too far. God's hand is not too short. It's reaching for you. Reach for it. They're in bondage. They're in slavery. They come to that place from complacency just like you and I can get there so easily. But there's this moment in time that happens as we get to Exodus chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there with me right now if you're in your, in your word. As you're turning to Exodus chapter 3, we get to this moment. You see, because Moses himself even became complacent. He became complacent. He grew up. He was saved miraculously. Uh, whenever there was a decree in all the land, not only were they put in bondage, but every child, every male was supposed to be killed. They were supposed to be drowned in the waters, killed, their lives taken from them just because they were Israelites. But this young boy Moses, when he was born to his parents, they hid him. They weaned him. They put him into a vessel that they made just right so that it would float in the water, pushed him out into the waters of the Nile. He's picked up by who? He's picked up and brought right back into the palace, the palace that Joseph long before had been in. He's brought right back to a place. Only God does that. Only God takes a life that is meant to be lost and redeems it and elevates it to a place it could have never got on its own. Only God has the power to do that. And not only does he do that, but whenever the, she sees it, she says, oh, oh no, I, I, this child, i got to find someone that will nurse this child. She tells her servants, go find a servant that will be able to take care of this child. Don't you know the person they find is Moses' very mother? And bring him a reunion. Only God does that. Works all things together for good. Imagine that moment of loss to be reunited with her son. And he grew up in the house. But I, I believe there was a complacency in Moses' life and in his story. It's because of something that happens there. One day, he's walking around, and his guard is so down that he does something that he could have never imagined, something that shamed his life and sent him out of Egypt. He sees one of his own people being beaten by an Egyptian. And while that happens, he turns on the Egyptian, he kills him, and he buries him in the sand. 
When he goes back and he sees a couple other Israelites fighting, they said, are you going to treat us like you treated the Egyptian? Are you going to kill us too? And from that, he becomes so afraid. What does he do? He runs from it. Come on, say to someone again, don't run from it. Don't reach for it. But you see, in that moment, in that moment of complacency, he sinned. He did what's wrong. You see, he wanted to bring freedom. He wanted to do it, but he did it in the wrong way. I want to tell you something. The right motive, but in the wrong way, is still the wrong thing. It's still the, you, know, you can have the right motive all you want, a motive of protection of whatever it is, but if you're going about it in the wrong way, it's still the wrong thing. And often it's sin. It's wrong. It doesn't please the heart of God. And so this is what happened in this story. So he runs. He runs from it. And he goes out and he settles. Out near Midian, he takes a wife. He's sitting comfortably now in the wilderness, but not where God would have him to be. And it's in this moment that we catch up in, Gen- in Exodus chapter 3. It says, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, who's his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And in verse 2 it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now. And see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned out. Someone say it again, reach for it. There's, a, there's not a running in this moment. There's a, there's a pressing in. There's a reaching towards whatever it is that's going on. I want you to know that I don't believe this is the only burning bush that will ever show up in someone's life. I believe this is defined as one of those God moments. One of those moments where God is looking to interrupt his life. He's looking to get his attention. And I love that the, the Lord is, the Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. He says he's not going to pound. He's going to speak with a still, small voice. He didn't send a comet from and, you know, create a giant crater right in front of him. He didn't just envelop him and knock him off of a horse uh, like he did for solar times, that God's just going to be here on the peripheral. And it's going to be there that's going to catch your eye. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. It's going to be supernatural maybe. But it's in that moment that it will require us to lean in, to reach out, to reach for it, to press in, to turn our ear, to say, God, are you wanting to speak to me in this moment? Oh, man. I wonder how often that me staring here is actually keeping me from seeing what's happening there. I wonder how often when I'm fixed on screens and other things and people and whatever that I'm missing, I'm missing what he wants to say over here. I'm so amazed and enamored with all these things that I'm not enamored by his presence, ready to meet me right over here. And so he comes, he goes over, he presses, he reaches for it. Say it again, reach for it. Before he could even get there, before he could burn his hand, right? The Lord begins to speak to him. Verse 4, when the Lord saw, what was the Lord looking for? When he saw that he turned aside to look. When he saw that he was reaching, that he was inquiring, that he was pressing in, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. The place in which you were standing is holy ground. It's there that God begins to make his presence known to Moses in a supernatural way. And it's there that God begins to disclose his plan. Here's what God says. says, I've heard the cry of my children. I've heard them. And like a father, I'm coming to rescue them. I'm going to lead them up out of their bondage and their slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Soon I will show my full power and all the Egyptians will see it. He said Pharaoh's heart, uh, heart will be hardened. He won't be able to see what is right in front of him and what he should do. But I'm going to do it, and I will bring it about, and I will rescue my people to myself. 
He discloses that to Moses. And he says, and you're going to be the leader that I'm calling on to lead this effort. You're going to be the one to go. Go gather the elders. Go bring the people together. Go tell them what I've told you. And then lead the charge. Now you're thinking about Moses. He's in this place. It's like, yeah, I'm not too welcomed in Egypt. Last time I was there, I left because they were trying to kill me. And you're calling me back. You're calling, like, you know, you can imagine that fear that sets in. I can imagine just how uncomfortable that would be for Moses. And before long, Moses just starts rattling off all the reasons why he can't do it. All the reasons why he is unqualified for the job. He's unfit for the mission. You're going to do what? And you want me? No, 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 no. (laughs) You picked the wrong guy. I love it. I just feel like I wish there was a version that just showed what was being said in our language today. Because that's what everyone would be saying. You picked the wrong guy. You picked the wrong guy. You picked the wrong guy. He's not looking for qualifications. He's looking for something different. He's looking for something different. And so what happens here is Moses is giving his excuses. And here's what I believe excuses are. They're you're stretching for a nice run. You're going to run from it. And so you're just stretching out and getting ready. I can't do it for this reason. I can't do it for that reason. So here I go. And you're gone. You're gone. You're just running. I want to tell you, man, I believe the church, we would have a, 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 an Olympic medals for how much running we're doing from the things that God wants for us. We're not running towards the prize. I think that's why Paul used all that language. He's like, let me take that running and turn it in a positive direction. Let's run towards the prize. Let's run in such a way that we're going to win the race. Not, we're not going to go opposite while people are lapping us. We're going to run towards what God has for us. He had to f- fix your eyes on Jesus. Quit running the wrong way. Fix your eyes on him. Go that way. We're, we're so good at running. We're, we run against the grain. We run away from things so often. I say it. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. He gives his excuses. He's getting ready. He's ready to bolt. He says, why? Why, God? Who am I? So here it is. Ready? Verses 11 and 12. Who am I? Here's God's answer. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. I am that I am. The great I am. The great I am is sending you. That's, that's all that matters, who I am. Oh, but, but I don't know what even I'll say. God's answer is, I'm going to tell you what to say. Every time, I will tell you what to say. Well, they're not going to listen to me. God says this, I'm going to work my power through you that they're going to turn their ear, believe me. They're going to be looking for you to listen to you because my power will be on display through your life. But I can't even speak well. I don't have the skills. God's answer, I'm going to speak through you. And in fact, I'll bring someone alongside of you. You got any more excuses, Moses? Come on, how many, of, how many of us have made a lot of excuses to God why we can't do the thing that we feel he's putting in our heart to do, why we're running from the thing that God's setting us up for, that God's been planning for us, the thing that scares you most. You think, man, in my wildest dreams, I, I don't think I could do it, but I feel like maybe God has said that at one point in my life, but, man, I haven't done this, and I'm, not, I'm just I'm unqualified. I cannot do it. I could never step into it. Be careful. Those sound like excuses, and that seems like running. What if you would just turn to God and say, I'm done with the excuses? Moses was done with his excuses, and then he wasn't. He brought out some more. He thought of a few other, other ones. And finally, he says, what if the, the, the actual Israelites, people I go to, they're not even going to listen to me? He says, okay, enough, enough. What's in your hand, Moses? What's in your hand? A shepherd's staff. very thing that symbolized his running. He runs into the wilderness. That wasn't his job in, <laughs> in Egypt. He took this up, this occupation, Because he showed up at the right place at the right time, and now he's tending to the flocks. He's a shepherd over a flock. But God's ready to call him to be the shepherd over his people, to lead them by a mighty hand and outstretched arm. It wouldn't be Moses' power, 
but it'd be his obedience that would lead them all along the way. Here's something I realized I was praying just, just as we're getting, getting ready to come up here. And I, I didn't think about this in our last service or even this week, but I felt the Lord had said it. You don't realize this sometimes. Whenever we're saying no to God, you don't realize it isn't just your freedom that's at stake, but it's the freedom of others around you that God has in mind and has in plan. So your no isn't just a no for you. It may be also a no for them. Could you imagine this moment? And most like, you know what? No, I'm just going back to the flock. There's so much at stake. He had no idea what God was about to do. We have no idea what God wants to do through our lives, who he wants to impact. It isn't just for your freedom, it's for somebody else's. Our obedience, man, it brings about the saving of many lives. This is what's happening here. He says, what's in your hand? Moses threw it down. And remember this, (laughs) something in your hand might be good, might be powerful. Many of us have something in our hand. And I'll ask you this question, what's in your hand? You say, what do you mean what's in my hand? The Bible? Yeah, okay, that's good. What's in your hand on Monday, though, and on Tuesday and on Wednesday? What's the skill that God's put in your heart? What, what is it that you do with your life? You say, well, I do this. What is it maybe that is a talent of yours or your, your trade? What are the things that God has ingrained and made unique inside of you? What's in your hand? And some of you, you're finding a lot of success. You're finding a lot of, of fruit in what you're doing. You're, you're, you're pleased with it. You're happy. You're fulfilled. Some of you, you're not. You don't feel like it's enough. Some of you feel like you're past the season, and, and what's in your hand feels like it's not producing what it once did, and you're, and you're just concerned about that. And here's what the Lord says to Moses. Now, now release it. Release it. And when he's doing that, he's not really just throwing it on the ground. You know what he's doing? He's putting it in God's hands. He's taking what's in his hand. He's putting it in God's hand. Here's what I want you to do. Watch what God does when you take whatever is in your hand and you put it in his hand. Because it's not just surrendering and sacrificing. It's not just laying it down. For some of you, it is. God's calling you to lay down something. He's causing you to even be willing to walk away from it. He did that for me. I, was think, I, I thought I was going to a career in computer technologies and all these things, and God said, lay it down. It was very painful. It was very difficult. It was very trying. He didn't say, lay it down, because one day on March 5th, you'll be standing here. No, I had no idea. Just lay it down. And I laid it down. And I thought it was dead, and I thought it was buried. But I watched how God, time and again, he brought me to that place, and now pick it up. Now pick it up and use it for my kingdom. Now pick it up and use that for here. Now pick it up and use it for this. And, and I've watched how God redeems. Some of you are going to have to lay something down, and then God's going to have you pick it back up. It's going to be anointed, touched, blessed by him, and you're going to do something so powerful, but it's going to be for his kingdom with the same skill you had, the same thing you had in your hand. Are you with me today? You get it. You get what I'm saying? So it requires you to release whatever's in your hand. Surrender it to the Lord. Leave it there. And now God says, pick it up and go do something. Now that, that time of reaching for it, you got to reach for it, not run from it, right? Because as you look at it, it comes with that calling. It comes with that, that new purpose, and it's scary. So I think the greatest way this could be depicted is what happened. A snake appears in front of him. It turns into a snake. And now he says to him, not just reach for it, he says, reach for it and take it by the tail. Now this is where it gets interesting, because I've only encountered one snake that was dangerous in my life. And this snake was in the woods of Pennsylvania. I was out fishing with some friends. I was 12 or 13 years old. And as we're walking back, we almost step on this thing because it's blended into the leaves. And they put their hand like this in front of me, and I almost stepped on the thing. I backed up. This is a copperhead rattlesnake. And the thing is between six and seven feet. It's somewhere in that, that realm. And the reason I'm reminded of it is about, it'd be about the size of the shepherd's crook, right? 
because those are much taller and wrap around. So I'm thinking this could have been like the size of the snake that Moses encountered as it turned into it. And don't you know, I'm ready to run in the other direction. I'm with, I'm with Moses, right? Run from it. But another friend, he's saying it's time to reach for it. He didn't know the Lord, so I don't think he was following the, the Bible here. But he wants to reach for it. And so he has, he has the bright idea. Okay, I'm going to go. He goes over, he finds a stick that has a, a, a Y at the end of it. And so he takes the stick, and, and he knows how to deal with it. I'm going to come to the head, and I'm going to hold its head down. Now, this snake didn't want anything to do with us. It was not uh, upset. It wasn't, like, threatening us. It was just trying to get away, and he kept tormenting it. He's trying to hold it down. And as he tries to hold it down, eventually that thing comes up, snaps the stick, just snaps it, and then kind of snaps at him. And that's like, leave me alone. I'm out of here. And I was like, dude, let it alone. <laughs> just slithered into the woods. I'm like, okay. Now, he had the right idea. I mean, wrong thing. Uh, no one should ever do it. Uh, hide your children like Pastor Rick's doing, right? You don't want to do that. But if you're going to confront a snake, you're going to go for the head. You're going to try to pin the head down. This is terrible advice God is giving to Moses. Reach for it and take it by the tail. Who says that? Who does that? There's that level of fear that goes along with that. That's like if I grab by the tail, then I'm very vulnerable to its strike. And that's, that's the step of faith. I'm going to tell you something. Reaching out, take it from by the tail is the same thing as reach your foot out and step out of the boat. Reach for it. Reach for it. It's like reach for it. You know, there's, there's this level of anxiety that it produces. You know why? Because it's not natural. It's, beyond, it's supernatural. And it requires faith. Faith is that step. That step into the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen here. It kind of makes me feel nervous to think about it. Because there's something that's beyond us that we're taking hold of. So whatever that is, reach for it and take it by the tail. It's in that moment that God's meeting you. You see... The Bible says faith without works is dead. And here's what we see in this story. It did not turn into back into the shepherd's um, staff when he thought about it, when he thought in his heart, okay, I'm going to take it by the tail. Not when he prayed about it. Not when he had five Bible studies and two altar calls about it. He didn't have any of those things. It was when he touched it, when he reached out and took it by the tail. Turns back into the staff. It's God meeting us at that point of faith that moves us out of our comfort zones. And into the promise. It's when our faith begins to become sight. When we're stepping out. Reaching out. Reaching for it. Not running from it. And it's when he takes hold of that. That it's not just this one moment in scripture. This is significant. Because it's through that moment. It's through that instrument that God's power is going to move. And it's through Moses' life and his obedience that so much happens. You see, in his hand, that shepherd's staff did a lot. It protected his sheep. It helped him tend to the flocks. It helped him take care of all the duties he needed to. He could have been so successful in his own ability with that thing. But when he put it in God's hand, and then he reached out and took hold of it. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't, it's not even, it's not even a competition, right? Because of that same staff now, 
Something that could have been used for nothing is now being used for everything. God's doing miraculous things through it. It's through that staff that he used to confront the soothsayers and magicians in Pharaoh's court in chapter 7. It's where he turned the waters of Egypt into blood in chapter 7. It's where he brought frogs upon all the land in chapter 8. It's where he caused gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. We'll get to that in a little bit in chapter uh, 8. In chapter 9, he brought thunder and hail throughout all the land. In chapter 10, the east wind to bring locusts across the land of Egypt. In verse four, chapter 14, to cause the waters of the Red Sea. Come on. You split the sea and I'll walk right through it. It's by that same staff there. He holds it up as he does that in the waters. It comes up and it's held. It's by those same, that same staff that they pass through on dry ground. And it's by that same power that the seas come back down and envelop all the armies of Egypt and give them victory and freedom. It's from that place that God brought water out of a rock, that he brought victories to his armies. This rod was nothing special. This staff was nothing significant in Moses' hands, but in the hand of God, released, and when he reached for it and took it by the tail, God's power on full display. You see, Moses was so focused on what he didn't have, how unqualified he was, how much his abilities did not match the task that was ahead of him. And here's what you need to know. This is what Moses was learning all along. God wasn't looking for Moses' abilities. If he was, he would have picked someone else. He's not looking for our abilities. He's looking for our availability to him. God can do more through our availability than he can through a lot of ability. God can do more. I'm telling you this today. Chris, he could do more through your availability to him today than if all of our abilities were combined. And we did. He could do more just through one person being available to him than he could do through the abilities of millions in Egypt, right? One person, one staff, all the armies of Egypt. Who wins? God. God can do more through your availability. Quit looking at your abilities and quit trying to do the math. It doesn't work. If it was in your own ability, you wouldn't need God. You wouldn't need him at all. But he's calling you always to something bigger than you. Step out. Reach for it. Reach for it. Take it by the tail and step into what God has. It was used in such miraculous, incredible ways. Pastor Rick, would you come up at this time? Are you reaching for it or are you running from it in your life? Are you reaching for the promises of God? Are you reaching for the plan of God? You're running from it with your life. I want to tell you something that God's calling for his people, his plan, is that we would continually reach, that we'd be people that would continually be reaching, facing him, pressing into what he has for us. See, each week as we go through God's word, when we talk about history, we root it there in the Old Testament. But the goal is also to bring it to the reality that we have now in Christ. Because I know this, that all throughout the Bible, there is what I'd like to call the red thread. And if you look at our history logo, you actually see it. And if you could bring up even the bigger logo, if it's the very first slide maybe that I have, you can see and you say, what is that kind of there? You know, that's all thread. And the red thread is the thread that's woven. It's Jesus throughout every page of the Bible. And it's woven all throughout it. And I see here, especially in this account, in these stories, that there's a red thread that's so strong that starts here and goes all the way to the person of Jesus thousands of years later in the New Testament. And I want to talk to you about one of those threads right here for just a moment. Because it shows up in Luke chapter 11. 
Jesus is working. He's ministering. He's working miracles among the people of God. And people are reaching out to the Lord. They're reaching. And as they're reaching, some of them are they're possessed by demons. Others, they're sick and they're reaching. God's meeting them through the power that's on display in Jesus' ministry. They're reaching and all these things are happening. So all these demons are being cast out of people. And the religious people at the time, they said, who's doing this? And some of them speak up. They said, this is by the power of Beelzebub. This is by the power of Satan that he's casting out these demons. Jesus understands their heart. He understands what their thoughts are. He said, it's not by that power that's happening. He said, you say it's by that. He said, but that doesn't even make any sense. Why would, why would Satan even do that? Why would he cast out demons by his own power? Like he's self-defeating then. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's where that passage is. That's where that verse is found right there. But here's what he says in verse 20. Ready? But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You ready? If I cast out demons by the finger of God, don't miss that, then the kingdom of God is upon you. Here's what Jesus is saying to him. That's by the finger of God that this is taking place. Why is that significant, Pastor? Because let's go back now to Exodus chapter 8. You still have your Bible open. Open there. Turn there. It's in the middle of the plagues. All these plagues, God's power on display. Moses is being obedient. He has the staff. God keeps giving him instructions, just like he said he would. Do this. Do that. Every time he does it, he won't listen. He won't obey. Pharaoh keeps hardening his heart. Every time he sees God's power, and then eventually, even at the beginning, Pharaoh sees the, the power of God on display. He throws down the staff, turns into a snake. Pharaoh's like, okay. He calls his magicians over. His magicians come. They do the same thing. I'm sure Moses is thinking, oh, great. I've been duped. What's going on? He goes back to the Lord. Hey, they did it too. Okay, do another one. He goes back. They're going back and forth here, and the, the magicians are kind of meeting toe-to-toe with all the miracles that Moses is performing. Then we get to this portion right here in chapter 8. He says, all right, Aaron, strike the ground with the staff, and the dust is going to come up. The dust comes up from the ground. It turns into gnats, the Bible says. In verse 18, in Pharaoh's magicians... They they plagued all of Egypt. Pharaoh's magicians, they tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed. The gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. And here's what they said. Verse 19. This is the finger of God, the magicians exclaimed to the Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He wouldn't listen to them. There's only three times we see here throughout this part of the Old Testament that the term finger of God is used. It's at this moment in time and when God is writing the Ten Commandments with the finger of God, inscribing them into stone. Here's what Jesus was saying that the power that's on display right now, the power that is available to anyone who will reach for me, it's not the power that you think it is. It's a power that if you go back and you look into the story of the people of God, the same power that rescued the people of God from Egypt is the same power that's on display right now. It's the same hand. It's the finger of God at work in their lives for everyone who will reach out to me. Do you get that, church? It's the same power that Jesus operated in, the same power that split the see into it split the veil into when Jesus died for our sins it's the same power that rolled back a stone it's the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead and now it's the same power the Bible says that lives not around us not in front of us not behind us 
is the same power that's at work in us. That's it's closer than you think. Here's what you need to know. And here's what God was teaching Moses all along as the staff was there. The power that you need for everything is right within your reach. That what you need is within your reach. It's there. Reach for it. Don't run from it. Reach for it and take hold of it. Come on, stand to your feet with me today. Let's go before the Lord right now. And here's what I want you to do. You know where you are. You know what your life looks like. There are areas that you know need to be surrendered to God right now. There are skills and things he's put in your hand today you haven't yet laid down. So lay them down right now in his presence. Lord, I surrender these things to you. Lord God, I surrender that to you, Lord God. Lord, I place that into your hands today, Lord God. You've created me for this, and Lord, I've been selfish with it, Lord God. Lord, I lay it at your feet today, Lord God. Come and have your way. There's some of you today. God says, don't run, reach. Don't run, reach, reach for it. Some of you laid something down a long time ago. You thought it was dead. You thought it was buried today springing up from the ground. God's putting it in your heart right now. Reach for it. Reach for it. You thought that season of your life was over. Reach for it. You thought that you laid it down. You thought your shepherding days were over. Reach for it right now. No, it's scary. It looks like a snake. No, it's no. reach for it. Don't run from it. God's placing callings in the hearts of people right now. I feel that in my heart. God's beginning to put callings on some lives right now. Don't run from it. Reach for it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We take hold of that that you've taken hold for me. There's others that are here today. And we get to Luke chapter 8, and Jesus is walking and ministering among the people. There's one woman. She's like someone that's here today. 12 years at the hands of many doctors. No one can figure it out. No one knows what's going on. No one can help her. No one can treat her. She's been every specialist. And the Bible says she suffered much at the hands of many. You've suffered much at the hands of many. And you feel hopeless today. But there's something out of her peripheral. Like the burning bush that Moses has caught her attention. Is this man named Jesus walking by. And she presses through the crowds. And she has this idea. If I could just reach for him today. If I could just grab the hem of his garment. There's going to be healing for me. I feel it. I know it. I believe it. I take hold of it. And she reached for it and when she took it the bible says as soon as she touched the hem of his garment she was healed instantly there's some of you today that your miracle is waiting on the other side for a moment of you just reaching for it reach and realize that god is here that his presence is here in this moment right now we're going to go into a song and here's what i'm going to ask you to do we didn't do this in first service but wherever you are right now i want you just to lift your hands I want you to lift them right above your head. If there's some of you today that you're in that place, you need a, a straight-up miracle from God, I want you just to come to this altar. We're going to sing a song. Just come and just begin to pray just for a few moments. We're going to go back to our seats. We're going to have something else happen. But I do feel leading that you just come right now. Come on, Pastor Rick's going to begin to lead us in a song. It's a declaration that this same power is at work in us today. Come on, sing it from the bottom of your heart. If that's from you. If you need to reach for God today, you need to reach out to him. Just reach out. If you're in your seat today, just begin to reach out your arms to God. Stretch them towards Him right now.
around this room. Let's just stretch our hands towards him today. The power we need. The Bible says everything we need for life and godliness is found in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everything we need and more. He's not almost enough. He's more than enough for us today. So reach out for him today. His power, his presence is here to touch. Lord Jesus, come now in touch with healing, Lord God. Those who are awakened to this this morning, Lord. Those who turn to you, Lord. They're done running, Lord God. They're running from it, Lord God. They're running now to you, reaching for it, Lord God. So, Lord God, I pray that you'd meet them now by your power, by the power of the resurrection. Give them new life, Lord God. By the power of the resurrection, Lord God. I pray you heal their bodies, Lord God. Restore them in every way. Holy Spirit, begin to speak calling into your people, Lord God. Begin to whisper into their ear the many things, Lord God, that you're calling them towards, Lord God. And may they not run from it, but reach for it, Lord God. Lord, we reach for it today and we take hold of your hand, Lord God. Your outstretched hand, your your nail-pierced hand, Lord God, that has saved and redeemed us, Lord God. We thank you that before we could ever reach for you, Lord God, you reached for us you picked us up out of the pit, Lord God. You rescued us and you brought us through. And today, Lord God, you put a calling in our hearts to walk with you and to do things that are beyond our our greatest and wildest imaginations, exceedingly abundantly more. So we pray for that today, Lord God, in every life and in every circumstance. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, somebody praise God with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I invited you up to this altar, and if you want to stay right around here, find a seat right near you. We're going to actually go into a time of communion, so if you're at the altar, just stand off to the side, and if you want to stay up here, we'll serve you as you're here. If you want to return to your seat, go ahead and do that. As you're doing that, I want to move into a passage of Scripture as we're preparing to take communion together. If you have your Bibles, come on, one more time. Exodus chapter 12. Say, isn't it over? No, we still got a couple minutes. We're good. God, God's got something for us today. Let's not, let's not, we don't need to rush on this. Until we get a third service, and we'll have to rush. Exodus chapter 12. God, the plagues are done. God said, it's time. This is going to be it. This is going to end it. This is going to be the full, my full power on display. This is going to be my act that's going to free you from Egypt. He said, I'm coming and I'm visiting the land. And every firstborn male, and every firstborn animal that's male will be killed. I won't spare any. But he said, but there's one way that you signify you're the people of God. In verse 7, here's what he says. They are to take some of the blood, the blood of a lamb that had been slain, and smear it on the side and on the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. And then God said, now inside of your houses... Take that animal, take the meat, take this meal, have this meal. This meal is going to be a celebration. It's going to be a time of remembrance that you're going to celebrate in advance for what I'm about to do. You're going to prepare yourselves and celebrate and remember my faithfulness. So he gave them this meal. He called it a Passover Seder, a dinner, where they'd come together. They'd eat in their homes just as the Lord said. And here's what he says in verse 12, Exodus 12. On that night, I will pass through all the land of Egypt. I will strike down every firstborn son and every firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute my judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. 
When I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here's what he said. That on this day, this is what's going to take place. The only thing that will save you from what's coming is the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your home. Verse 14, I never saw this before. This is the day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. Here it is, ready? This is a law for all time. Never saw that before. You know why? Because I know somewhere there's a red thread woven through Scripture. God knows what they don't know yet. That one day, there'd be a greater Pharaoh the enemy, the prince of the air, Satan, the devil. There'd be a greater captivity. There'd be sin and death. And there would be one that would come, the spotless lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And it would be God's only son. And he sent him and he knew that one day there's going to be a greater exodus. One day there's going to be a greater act of deliverance. One day death will be defeated forever. And it'll be that when someone takes the blood of the lamb, and applies it to the doorpost of their life and their heart, that they will escape from death to life, from captivity to freedom, healing, restoration, and power. This is what will happen. Praise God for his sacrifice. Praise God that he knew then what he was going to do for us today. And so we, on that night Jesus was betrayed, he was taking part in this very meal, preparing for what was to come. The people had no idea who he truly was. Let's enter into this communion, these few moments that we have together. We're going to close with communion, church. What a great way to close a great Sunday off. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in this special way with this recognition. Man, Lord, it's that same power that rescued me today. It's that same power. What you did for them, Lord, you've done for me in an infinitely greater way. So take one of the cup, take one of the 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 pieces of bread and I want you to hold on to them and let's worship the Lord together and then we're just going to fix our hearts on that communion we'll take all the elements together come on forward those that are serving let's prepare our hearts to take communion together it's at that Passover Seder Jesus took bread the same way that they had taken bread during that Passover dinner little did they know that they would soon be in a wilderness pass through the Red Sea. They'd be there and they'd wonder, how are we going to eat? And God would send them bread from heaven, manna from heaven. Jesus said it himself. He said, I'm the bread of life. Just as Moses received bread from heaven, I'm the bread that's come down from heaven. Whoever comes to me, I'm your provision. I'm, I'm the one God has provided for you. Let's remember him as our bread of life. But he was taken just as Jesus took bread and broke it. He was broken for us. He was broken so we could be made whole in every way. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you, Lord God, that you were provided as the provision for us, Lord God. When we were starving, when we were at our worst, when we were in the worst wilderness we could ever be in, Lord God, you came and rescued us, Lord God. Lord, you are more than enough. We thank you today, Lord God. We eat this bread. We do this in obedience to you, remembering, Lord God, your work in our lives with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. The same way he took the cup after supper. Now, there are different cups that take place in any Seder meal. 
As they would do a, a Passover Seder, there'd be different cups, and each rec represents something about God's deliverance and his work and what he had done, what he was doing. Jesus said, this is now a new cup in my, in my blood. It's a new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus said, what I'm about to do is the ultimate act of deliverance. It's going to set you free from your sins. Forgiveness will become a reality in your life. You will be transformed forever. None of it happens without his blood. The blood of Jesus applied to the doorpost of your heart in your life makes you a new creation. Allows you to pass from death to life. So would you, in this moment as we pray, would you just thank the Lord for his sacrifice for you? Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We praise you for your sacrifice, Lord God. We thank you that you made a way, Lord God. Lord, you split the sea, Lord God, so we could pass through on dry ground. Lord God, you brought us out of the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of your beloved Son, Lord God. Today there is reconciliation. There is healing. Lord God, there is everything we need for life and godliness, Lord, because of what you've done for us, not what we've done for ourselves, not what we've earned. And so today with grateful hearts, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Thank you for your sacrifice. And help us, Lord God, strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life worthy of the calling you've given us. Today we do this, we pray this in Jesus' matchless name. And all God's people said together, amen and amen. Let's drink together. Amen. Amen. As you're standing, right as we close, we're about to close out our service. I want to give you one exciting announcement that you won't want to miss out on. Easter, a little over 40 days away. Can you believe it? God's got something in store so big and so exciting for us. We can't wait uh, for what God's going to be doing this Easter season. But on Easter weekend, we have Good Friday. Good Friday. Time where we remember Christ's sacrifice. This year, we're going to do something different. It's going to go right along with our series we're preaching. This Good Friday service of ours, we're going to take part in a Passover Seder together. We're going to actually have someone from Jews for Jesus, which is a great missions organization, come. Not all of us are going to be able to eat that. Yeah, praise God for that. Um, they're going to have a giant table set up here. So we're going to take communion together, but they will be walking through every part of the dinner teaching us how it all points to Jesus. It's going to be called Christ in the Passover. You don't want to miss it. You want to invite your Jewish friends. You want to invite anyone that you can. We want to... Um, Pack out this place and just come together on Good Friday to remember Christ's sacrifice in a way that I know will be unforgettable. Amen? Amen. So that's April 14th. Mark it on your calendars now, 7 o'clock p.m. You don't want to miss out on that. All right. God bless you as you go. We're going to have some prayer workers forward here in the front. If you need prayer, um, we want to continue to not run from it, but reach for it. Reach for the promises God has in our lives. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.